Welcome to Designer's Drink, the podcast where I sit down with a fellow designer over drinks and discuss inspiration, the creative process, and our definitions of success. I'm your host, Sam Fagan, founder of Design It Please, and here with me today, a Yankee turned Texan, is Jess Warren. Hi, everyone. Jess is a freelance graphic designer for her company, Hey Jess graphic design. What are we drinking today? We are drinking Argus Cider, ginger perry flavor. It is local here to Austin. Their cidery is right next to Jester King, and I'm not obsessed or anything. It's cool. Um, And I told you before, it kind of tastes like kombucha, so it makes me feel good (laughs) inside, even though it's not kombucha. Let's try this. I'm not a big cider fan. Okay, you might not like it. (laughs) So we'll see if this wins me over. Okay. Do you like ginger? I do like ginger. It's a little intense. It's it still tastes like cider. Yeah. It's that apple flavor. Sorry. (laughs) It's not your fault. Well, I mean it kind of is, but I agreed to it. One of the things that I told myself when I started this podcast is whatever my my collaborator chooses for the drink, I will drink it. It's a good way to taste new drinks and see if you actually like them mm-hmm. or not. But I guess in this case, we don't really have a clear winner. So. It is an equal opportunity drink fest. <laughs> what does your daily routine look like? So I wish I could say I was one of those people that woke up and meditated and did yoga (laughs) and ate, you know, my overnight oats every morning. (laughs) There is the occasional morning I do these things, but typically my morning routine looks like waking up, struggling to get out of bed, but Uh then being excited for the day once I do. And grabbing a cup of coffee and sitting and checking email, which I know that all the, you know, top executives in the world say not to do first right. thing in the day. Mm-hmm. But it it almost relaxes me because then I can set all my to-dos for the day. Mm-hmm. And I do that the night before as well, but I need a refresher in the morning of here's everything I need to do today. Sometimes new to-dos come out of the email. So I like to know ahead of time, this is everything I have to do. I then prioritize I try to balance out some easy things first, um, you know, a bigger project after knocking out a couple easy things because those easy things kind of get me rolling and make me feel good and and I can check things off my list. Mm -hmm. Which always feels good. It always feels really good. Um, And then I do a bigger project and then save some easy things toward the end of the day as well. So when you're kind of fading a little bit, you can knock out those easy things and they get you going again. And then I love, since I have a flexible schedule now, I love to cook dinner. Um, When I used to work um, in an office and had a commute, by the time I got home, I was so hungry, I would just like eat snacks. Um, Sometimes I would go for a run and make dinner and stuff, but now I I try to make dinner every night, like a nice healthy dinner, Um, relax and then maybe work again in the night. And I usually try to take a break sometime during the day for a run or a walk. And when I do that, I listen to podcasts usually. What are you listening to these days? Uh, they're pretty typical ones, I guess, that a lot of people know of. But 
I go through phases where sometimes I like listening to work-related podcasts, and sometimes I would like to listen to things that are completely unrelated to my daily life just to kind of, you know, escape and learn something new. You don't want to think about work all the time. Right. Sometimes, though, you know, I want to keep that energy up and be inspired and learn something about work. So when I want that, I'll listen to Being Boss, um, which is two women creative entrepreneurs that talk about a lot of you know, creative entrepreneurship type stuff, freelancing, running your own business, design, writing, all that good stuff. And they also have a Facebook group uh, where a lot of people, you know, post questions and answer each other's questions and provide feedback on projects. So it's a really cool network. They've created a community. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I don't want to listen to work-related things, I listen to a lot of Freakonomics Radio Lab, This American Life, you know, the ones that I think are the top 10. Um, but they're so good, so. Recently, you experienced the digital nomad life. Yes. Through a hacker paradise. Mm-hmm. You lived in Porto. Right. Portugal which I hadn't heard about before you went. Uh, Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For about a month, right? Yes. Um, And from the little video that you created, it looks like you had a really good time. It was an amazing experience. It really was. What made you decide to do it? Well, now that I, well, I guess I've been freelancing for a little while now, but I figured it was time to really try to embrace the flexible schedule that I have Mm -hmm. while I still have it. And I have been following them for a couple of years now since they launched. Hacker Paradise. Mm-hmm. And they sent out an email with the newest uh, trip. And I was kind of like, this is my time. It's speaking to me. There were a lot of changes going on in my life with regards to my friends. A lot of people were moving at the mm-hmm. time, going on really awesome adventures. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of itching to try something of my own anyway. Right. So, And I had nothing planned for the month of June. So I figured... There was no better time than now, which was then, to right. um, to try it out and to go experience something new while I still could. And I, I was working the entire time I was there, so it was a remote worker program. Yeah. How did the hours work? You set your own hours. You do whatever you want while you're there. They just hook you up with a place to stay and fast internet and a co-working space and cool nerdy stuff that I love, like demo days and um, language lessons and meetups. Um, So I set my day maybe an hour or two later than my day here. Okay. So here I might start working at 8, 8.30 a.m. There I started at about 10, 10.30 um, and worked, kind of worked a little bit of shorter days, but I was more productive Mm. while I was there because... I may have stopped at six or seven, but that was because I really wanted to go out to a nice long dinner right? or go out and explore the city. Um, and I also took a nice long lunch break in the middle of the day. So in those chunks that I was working, I was super productive because you want to be able to get out and experience the city and travel and hang out with all the people you're with. Did you find it difficult to schedule things with your clients if you needed to have calls or whatever? I think the time difference was an okay one because it was six hours from Austin and eight hours from Pacific time, which I have a few clients in California. At the end of my day, 
I can schedule calls and it'll be the morning for my clients. Um, so that worked out all right. And then some clients embraced it. So then they sent me feedback on something at the end of their workday. And then I could get edits done and to them by the their morning. Oh, nice. Um, and it was, you know, in my normal workday hours. Yeah. So it actually worked out to an advantage for some clients. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Hmm, that's a selling point. <laughs> you actually want me to be in Europe. Right. It's really okay. <laughs> It'll like shorten our the time between uh, revisions. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, overnight turnaround for them. Yeah, that's cool. Do you feel like you made connections that you're going to keep around? I hope so, yeah. Um, we've There's an alumni Slack channel. Of course there is. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been hopping in and out of that a little bit, and that's for all alumni within Hacker Paradise, so any trip. And it's supposed to be an environment where you can still ask questions of each other and ask for help and send each other work and all that good stuff. So... I hope to stay in touch and I hope to maybe try to go back on another Hacker Paradise trip. So I took a trip to Scotland in May, the end of May. And when I got back, it was just a vacation. But when I got back, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be a digital nomad. And so I made like a goal um, that 2017 would be my year of digital nomading. So the whole year? When my lease is up in... November slash December, I'm going to put my stuff in storage. Oh my gosh. And go nomad. But I've had too much time to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of why I just, when they had the application open, I was like, I'm applying mm-hmm. within a week. I was confirmed <laughs> and I'm like, I guess I'm doing it. So now I'm wondering, like, can I afford this? And am I going to lose my clients? And am I going to be able to make new clients? And will I have to come back to the US like every three months in order to tax blah, blah, blah and health insurance and is is a program like Remote Year or Hacker Paradise um, worth it? Is it worth the, the extra money? Would it be extra money than if I just did it on my own? I don't know. These are all great questions <laughs> that I don't have the answers to. But I will say that doing a program like that worked for me because, you know, there are so many other things you can stress out about in life that right. having them handle all the logistics for me. Right just to try this out for the first time really worked well. And now I feel a little bit more prepared where if I wanted to do it on my own, I know, you know, how do you find reliable, reliable internet? Yeah. You know, they actually co-working spaces, right? So maybe you join a co-working space. Maybe you look into that versus before I would have been, you know, researching from the start, but this was a great way to dive in and learn from experiencing. And now I also know a lot more people in the digital nomading realm that I can ask them questions. Mm -hmm. I can maybe travel with them. And, you know, it was a great way to get started for me. I was reading through one of your blog posts um, and you talk about the ability, your ability to create cushy risks. Um, which are the risks that look crazy from the outside or look dangerous, but you've actually built in padding. Mm -hmm. And I think that most of the risks that I've taken in my life have been cushy 
in one yeah. way or another. I really related to that, which doesn't mean that they haven't been scary, but I do recognize that um, I've had a certain amount of security built into my risks. So this digital nomad idea for 2017 and that I've now had too long to think about and looking at prices for things just escalates that. But um, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on risk, especially as an entrepreneur and someone who's experimented with digital nomadism. Um, Are you someone who goes after risk naturally? I think I need them and I crave them, but I'm so scared (laughs) that, as you mentioned, I build in some element of security. Mm -hmm. So for digital nomading, I did a program that kind of built in a level of security. They were going to set up stuff for me and I was going to have new friends and people I could connect with right off the bat. Right. Moving to Austin was another example I think I used in the blog post mm-hmm. where I already had a job lined up. And at my best friend at the time, well, she lived here at the time. She's still, you know, BFF. But um, I think things like that, I crave them. By the time I needed to move, I moved to Austin, I needed to do it. Mm-hmm. I needed to move somewhere. I applied to jobs all around the country and wherever I landed a job was where I was going to move. So that was my cushion. But either way, it was a big, scary leap I think was also what I was using starting my own business I already had a couple of clients on the side of my full-time job so when I went full-time freelance you know I already had a little bit of that cushion there as well so I crave the risks but for me I think I can fully embrace the risk if I know there's just that little teeny bit of something I can fall back on or something, maybe it's not falling back on, maybe it's something to get me going, Mm. really. It's Mm -hmm. to launch the risk and allow me to actually make whatever that change is in my life to go for it. In July's Creative Mornings mugshot, you said that Frank Melville Park in Long Island is your favorite place in the whole world. You said um, it's full of animal life and beautiful scenery, and you have a lot of family memories there. Is nature an integral part of your creativity? And where do you go when you need a creative boost? I am inspired by the world around me, and generally that is things that are outside. So whether it's nature or in an alley with some awesome street art or, you know, a rundown building or the most beautiful mountain, I'm really inspired by traveling and experiencing these new cultures. I have done a few blog posts where I take photos from my travels or even just around town and turn them into color schemes. It just kind of gets me thinking about, look at these colors in this photo, but also what does that mean for the community that I was in, that culture that I was in, mm-hmm. the, the vibe that you get from looking at a series of photos from Amsterdam, for instance. The colors were a little bit more muted because it was a little grayer, but there were also still pops of bright color like a red bike. But the park itself means a lot to me because it's also where I first 
discovered that I was into visual communication, mm-hmm. I was tasked with an English project of using any form of communication to get across, you know, a thousand words or whatever the prompt was. So I started researching photography, mostly because I didn't feel like writing something. (laughs) But I think deep down it was because I was drawn to the visual communication. I spent, you know, a full day in the library with National Geographic photography books. Mm -hmm. I borrowed a camera from my dad's coworker and then I photographed my brother in that park. And so it's where I found out that I loved photography, which is how I found out I loved design. I started as a photographer and the composition, the colors, the lighting, all of that kind of led to the idea of, you know what, I could actually execute this in a different form as well using hand-drawn elements or computer-designed elements. Mm -hmm. So that park actually sparked a lot for me, but it really comes down to just experiencing the world around me inspires me. Do you consider creativity a practice? Oh, good question. Um, Yeah, I think it definitely is. I think it's something that you have, that everyone has. Everyone is creative, but the way people express it is different everybody's different with how they express their creativity but I think it is a practice with how you express it so if you want to express it through writing you know you have to write and the more you write the better you get the more creative you get with your writing I've been practicing drawing because it's something I want to get better at and the more I draw the more ideas I have about what to draw and the more ideas I have for my client work because of what I've been drawing so I think it all kind of intertwines but I definitely think creativity and keeping it up and getting better at expressing it is a practice so right now you have a daily practice of drawing yes how long do you spend on that my so it's more of doodling (laughs) because then there's less pressure for myself if it's just a doodle then you know it feels like this doesn't have to be perfect so what I've been doing is as long as I have one doodle per day it counts for me Mm -hmm. but usually I get into it and I sit down and I fill up like a page or two of my sketchbook of just different types of doodles so I've been drawing everything from like monsters to robots to food when I'm hungry to words like practicing lettering um but as long as there's something on the paper per day it counts for my daily goal cool yeah yeah i noticed that you have an etsy shop yes and you have some hand lettering things that you're selling Mm -hmm. cards and cards and posters mostly um well only paper prints right now yeah, and you're a member of a screen printing shop in town, right? Or yeah. guild or co-working space. What was it called? It's called co-op? ASPCO, Artist Screen Printing Co-op. Okay, co-op. So it's a screen printing co-op where anybody can come be a member and you get access to all the screen printing equipment. You just bring your own ink and screens and whatever you want to print on. And you're allowed to do whatever you want with your prints that you create there. So it's a really awesome space where you can meet creative people who are executing on that creativity and making cool stuff and selling it in shops around Austin or on Etsy or at East or at other events around town. So everything in your Etsy shop you have designed and printed yourself. Yes. That's awesome. 
thanks. And what's your what's the what's your Etsy shop Etsy shop name? Hey Jess Handmade. There you go. Go check it out. So you were into photography in high school. Mm-hmm. And then how did your life progress? I took a few photography classes in high school, did it as a hobby, was in a few art shows as a photographer, but didn't do anything design related because I didn't realize that I liked it or that it was even an option. Right. And then in college, I decided, decided to study public communication because photography kind of fit into that realm. You know, advertising I thought was interesting. I liked the visual arts and visual communication, but I didn't realize that, again, design was a way to fit into that, and Mm -hmm. it is a form of communication. Right. Until about junior, senior year. Then I started taking a couple design courses on the side of my major and realized it was something that I actually loved. And then I had a few design internships on the side of college and really fell into it. So then I got a job in PR, but it was a small agency. So then it, they allowed me to kind of explore my interest in design while I was there. That's awesome. And by the time I left, I was uh, you know, a content creator and designer within a PR agency. You'd made the switch. Yes. And so then I kind of took the jump and went full-time freelance after that. I think it's awesome how you don't have to necessarily go to school for design in order to be a successful designer. Because you have a really good grasp of design principles, but you didn't like study it primarily. Right. And I think that should be encouraging for a lot of people who are interested. Yeah, I actually spoke at a high school a couple weeks ago here in town about design and freelancing. And I was speaking with another co-designer, but he was an industrial designer, so it was a different type of design. It was fascinating, by the way. Fascinating. Is it recorded? No, unfortunately not. But they wanted me to tell my story about how I didn't major in design, but I did go to college and I did learn and then through that experience realized what I actually loved because they wanted the kids to see that there are different ways of approaching a profession. You don't have to know in high school what you want to end up doing for a career. You can figure that out along the way. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I didn't know in high school what I wanted to do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to live somewhere other than my hometown. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I got to college and I declared my major as architecture. Did you major in architecture? I I did for like a couple semesters. Okay. And then I realized that it took way more dedication than I was passionate about. Mm-hmm. You had to spend all of your life in the studio. And I wasn't that passionate about bricks. Right. So eventually, this is how I made my way to graphic arts. Gotcha. And photography and web design. Yeah. But I started not in those fields. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's all about the process and figuring things out as you go and as you experience them. What is your definition of design? Oh, uh, I was just thinking about how if I could switch to another career like tomorrow or something, maybe not could, if I was to switch or in another life, what would I do? Mm-hmm. And one thing I've always thought about was how cool it would be to be a landscape architect. <laughs> and I think it's another form of design is working with plants and and bricks and <laughs> um, and stones and trees and flowers and all these things and actually getting your hands dirty and doing all the work. And, right. and when I was a kid, I wanted to be an interior designer. And... You know, I just spoke with an industrial designer at high school, and I feel like there are a ton of different forms of design, but it's all about expressing communication through, I don't want to say it's definitely through a visual means, but it's also about how to use the design of something. So it can be visual, it can be concrete by touch, it can be the function Um, but it has some sort of form to it. It was purposely designed in that way. Side projects can be great for creativity. Mm -hmm. In the past year, you and a friend created and launched Boone, the game. Mm -hmm. Did you always want to create a game? No. <laughs> so how how did this come about? The friend who co-created the game with me, his name is Alex, and the game we created is based on an existing card game. So the card game itself is super hard to learn on a normal deck of cards, which is ordinarily played on a normal deck of oh. cards. And he couldn't find anybody to play the game with him. <laughs> because it was too hard to learn? Because it was too hard to learn. <laughs> So his goal was to just have people play the game and have fun. (laughs) It's a good goal. (laughs) And we decided to work together um, for me to design the custom deck of cards for him to, you know, help with the rules and the execution because he knew the game by heart. I, again, was one of those people that was like, I'm not playing this with you. Um, And he also was a developer, so he created the website. And together, it was kind of a good team to create and launch a card game. Plus, we're kind of big board game nerds these days. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it was a really cool opportunity to do a side project that actually turned into something that now we've printed and we sell and we have a website. We have a company that's incorporated around it. So it's been a side project that's actually kind of taken off a little bit. Yeah, and um, weekly at, at um, Hops and Grain? Monthly. So monthly we have a board game meetup at Hops and Grain here in Austin. And it's not focused around our game. It's for all games, all people. It's open to the public. It's the second Wednesday of every month. And we often break out our game and we play it. Maybe we sell a couple, you know. You got to plug your stuff, right? But... It's really about getting people together and a lot of game makers come and bring their own games that they're play testing or in the middle of designing. That's awesome. So it's a cool space for people to come explore and try out new games and 
uh, get feedback on their own games. I love that that exists here. Yeah. And Hops and Grain has been really great about being a space for board gamers because it's a bright space. There are huge tables. They have good beer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a win-win all around. (laughs) Do you consider yourself a designer or an artist? I consider myself more of a designer. Um, Or both. Both is acceptable. Artist is one of those words that I always, when, when I was in elementary school and they ask what you want to be when you grow up, mine was artist or teacher mm-hmm. every time. And artist is one of those words that I would love to say I feel like I am, but it's one of those things I feel like I'm always striving to be. But a designer, I feel more comfortable and confident in that word. And it feels more like what I do on a daily basis Art is something that I, you know, kind of try to discover on the side of being a designer. But I know that that's a tough question. And there's, I don't know, maybe they're the same thing. I don't know. Yeah, I I always like asking people because they have different ideas. And there's usually a delineation between designer and artist. They're usually different things. And artist is, is... like this higher calling. Right. That's kind of what it feels like. I'm always striving to be one, but designer is kind of how I'm doing it these days. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's a fair comparison. Like if, if an artist is like a higher level of designer, I'm not sure. But well, and I think one way you could define designer versus artist is designers tend to be more about communication and purpose behind the design. Mm -hmm. And art tends to be more about, you know, enlightening someone's life through a means of expression Mm -hmm. where design can do that and art can have a purpose. But I think that tends to be from what I've discussed with other people, more of that delineation. Yeah, that's a good point. What book should every designer read? One book that I think is pretty cool for designers or anyone really is called Blah, 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 What to Do When Words Don't Work. It's by Dan Rome. He is an illustrator and author, but the book is all about just going for it and drawing and how to put purpose behind your drawings. And it has prompts in it. And it's just a really cool, creative book that's super visual and really easy to pick up and read and it almost feels like a designer's fun textbook side project textbook Mm -hmm. if you will so I need to reread it but it was a really good one I to read when I did What is your definition of success? I've been thinking about this lately and success to me feels like one of those things that you can never achieve. Something you're always striving for. Maybe like being an artist? Yes. (laughs) Feels similar. But success is one of those things that everyone has a different definition of it but it tends to be something that you hold as that higher version of yourself or better version of yourself or more perfect version of your life in some way. And you're always aiming to reach for that end goal, 
but you're always going to adjust that goal depending on where you are. So more realistically, I guess, my end goal right now would be to have a balanced life between work and you know personal life. But I would love to be known for something or in, at least in a way where I inspire someone to do something that they feel good about. Mm-hmm. So whether that's through teaching or public speaking or being on more cool podcasts, <laughs> uh, you know, just helping to inspire people or lead them to do what they want to do, I think is my end goal professionally with success. Personally, I would really love to just feel comfortable in a home in a cool spot with people I like, kind of like a friend commune or something. You <laughs> yes, know? friend commune. <laughs> Um, no, but really just that overall feeling of comfort and fun. I once, I forget what it was. It may have been in a podcast or a workshop or something, but there was someone who drew a You're supposed to draw a picture of where you see yourself in success. Like what is success to you? Draw it. And somebody drew a picture of himself by a pool covered in money. (laughs) (laughs) And Then I guess a few years later, he realized he was working on his computer by a pool, making money (laughs) while doing it. Uh And so really he was like, well, that was my, yeah, Yeah. that was my (laughs) whole dream. I made it. I'm not covered in money, but I'm making money by a pool right now. Essentially, that's what I drew. So I thought that was interesting about how like you can have a very literal like, if I pictured my future office, it'd be a beautiful desk by a window, like, this nice and bright. Right now, I'm really lucky, and my desk is right next to yeah, a window, I and see it's that. really bright. That's yeah. what I'm looking at right now. So if that was my definition, then by definition, I've made it. But the second I move, that might not be the case. So mm-hmm. is that really a definition of success? I right. don't know. But yeah. it's interesting how you can look at it in different concrete ways or more philosophical. Yep. What do you think designers should be doing differently? It would be awesome if we supported each other's work more. I've heard of some people reviewing other designers' portfolios and telling them this sucks, but not offering constructive criticism. But I've also seen people do the opposite, and it's awesome. I look at the Reddit design threads a lot, or the design review threads, and a lot of people there offer great criticism, the constructive criticism, but a ton of people are just kind of like, this sucks, what are you doing? Go back to school. Ugh. And I think it would be great if we could kind of really help each other grow as a community and as designers, rather than kind of have that competitive edge. Right. Because we can work together, we can support each other and make you know the world a more beautiful place together. But... <laughs> Um, right now, it feels like there's a lot of competition with one another. Well, yeah, and it's really easy to view each other as competition right. as a business. But in reality, I mean, yeah, maybe some of us are competing for the same clients, but we are really made for different things. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of clients, I think, there are plenty of clients to go around. It feels like it to me. And, you know, 
owning your own business, you kind of figure out what your point of differentiation is. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think it might be more of client service than anything else. Whereas for someone else, it might be that they're an expert in hand lettering. Mm. I mean, maybe they suck at client service. I don't know. But it could be that they're the expert in this thing. Or maybe they're great at it all. But you can specialize in different aspects as well. So Mm -hmm. I think there is room for everyone. And everyone just needs to grow and figure out where they are their best. Or maybe, you know, when we provide feedback, maybe you shouldn't necessarily be doing logos. But you, you know what? You're color theory in that logo is awesome. Maybe you should explore more colored projects or something like that. I don't know. We can support each other. Where can we find you online? You can find me at heyjess.com. And my Instagram and Twitter handles are I-T-S-H-E-Y-J-E-S-S. It's heyjess. <laughs> Ta-da! Ta-da! And Etsy. And Etsy at heyjesshandmade. And Boone and boonthegame.com. Make sure you check out the podcast notes at designersdrink.com. Thank you for listening. If you know of a designer who I should have on the show or a question or an issue that you want discussed, shoot me an email at sam at designitplease.com. And if you love this podcast, share it with a friend. Subscribe to it rate and review it. Thank you for being on this podcast, Jess. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun.